for electronic devices that with your Bible on it. Let's hold that up and let's repeat together. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Look at your neighbor and just go, whoo. <laughs> I love it when you guys smile at each other. It's just great. I got a chance to brag on little Jackson last night uh, at the uh, uh, fundraiser. And, um, his uh, picture was on several of the things there. And so I was just really proud that I said, that's one of our kids. He's good. He's a good kid. They had one little boy that he, big old thick glasses and uh, big hearing aid. And his smile was as big as his head. He was just the happiest kid I've ever seen. And he came through the video presentation three or four different times. And I can see why. I'd want to focus on him, too. He's just smiling all the time. <laughs> so that's awesome. You want to hang around people like that, don't you? Unstuck. That's what we've been talking about. Today, I want to talk to you about getting unstuck in your career, in your job. Last week, I showed you some moms. This week, I want to show you some famous people that were stuck at one time or another in their jobs before they really found their calling and the fulfillment of their careers. And so we'll just try a few of these. Uh, let's see the first picture. Anybody know who that is? Anybody know? Okay, James. Vincent Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh. He was a schoolmaster. Then he became an apprentice priest. I don't know what an apprentice priest is, but he became one. And then an art dealer, he became an art dealer, and then he found his true calling, and that was an impressionist painter, one of the most well-known. He's the one that cut his ear off, remember? Now you got him. He was stuck at one time, but he got unstuck. How about the second person? Julia Child, very good. I, th I thought you guys would just get these just like that. At the age of 30, Julia Child worked for the U.S. government in Asia as a spy. Did you know that? She didn't take her first cooking class until she was 36 years old. And that's when she began to find her true calling. She went from being stuck to unstuck. Julia Child. How about this next one? Oh, come on. Now, if you don't get that one, I even put Mickey in front so you'd help you there. Walt Disney. He created the happiest place on earth, right? And it costs you everything you have to go see it. But do you know he was rejected by the Army in World War I? The Army rejected him after World War I, and he couldn't get a job. He finally got a part-time job at a newspaper, and it was after that he got, that he got his first full-time job at an ad company. And that's when he took his first lessons in animation. He was stuck. And he got unstuck, right? How about the next picture? Hey, very good. You're going to be a little dated to get there. Harry S. Truman, very good. President Truman started out as a bank clerk. Then he became a bookkeeper, and then he and a friend started a hardware store that failed. <laughs> he was really stuck. 
until he became a politician and eventually president. So how about that? And then our last one, Harrison Ford, a little younger version there. Before he became Han Solo, for 15 years he toiled as a carpenter and a stagehand, even at one point making cabinets for this lesser-known producer named George Lucas. <laughs> Harrison Ford. All these people, all these people were stuck and then became unstuck. So I want to ask you this morning, do you feel stuck in your career, in your job, in the field where you are? Do you feel stuck? You've gone as far as you can go and the frustration mounts. You're totally bored, disinterested in what you do. There's no meaning, no fulfillment. You just, you just go get the paycheck to help pay the bills. You feel stuck. Perhaps you've got a bad boss or a toxic in work environment. You're not being treated fairly. You're taken advantage of. and You do all the work, but you don't get any credit. You feel stuck. You may feel like a failure. Maybe you can't get your business off the ground, or maybe you don't get any callbacks, or you recently lost a job and you've lost and and you're not sure what direction to go, and you just have to admit that you're stuck. But here's what I know. There are more people, more people listening to me right now who are stuck than are unstuck in their careers. Recent studies show that 60% of Americans feel stuck when it comes to their job and their career. The other 40% don't necessarily feel great about it. It's just that they're not ready to quit today. <laughs> But that's not how God wants it to be. Now, work is not supposed to be easy. That's why it's called work. Now, I know a lot of young people that think work equates to this much. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm the worker, but I should get this much just because I showed up. I should get a whole lot more because I'm a handsome or I'm a pretty person. I should get a whole lot more just because, just because. Young people who want everything that their parents have without paying any sacrifice to get it. Why do you think our country's in the shape it's in? $643 million lottery, right? The government spends that much every hour and 15 minutes. Can you believe that? Is that, is that not just knock you off your feet? And I bet they do it tax-free. Oh, no, it's our taxes they do. Oh, okay. Pardon me. Whew, lost my mind there for a minute. God doesn't want you to feel stuck. Let's look at our verse here, Ecclesiastes 2.24. It's right there on the front of the outline. Let's read it together. So I decided there is nothing better than to find satisfaction in work. Then I realize that this pleasure is from the hand of God. Would you underline that phrase, hand of God? How many of you would like to find satisfaction at your work? Can I see your hands? You'd like to find satisfaction there. That's awesome. Well, this verse tells us that satisfaction is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. 
And when you feel stuck, there's some things that you need to do to not to feel stuck. In fact, our definition of getting unstuck is right there on the front of your outline. It's moving forward in my life because I am willing to do what? What does it say there? Say that one more time. To give. Boy, you might want to underline that too. Uh, To give God complete control. So if you feel stuck in your faith, you feel stuck spiritually, you feel stuck in relationships, you feel stuck in your finances, you can move from being stuck to unstuck if you will simply give God complete control. I got two amens. I'll go with that. Got a great story today in the New Testament about a man named Mark. Mark is a a great lesson here. And I hope that you learn from this lesson today. Jesus, after he was resurrected in the first century, he ascends to heaven. He leaves a command with the disciples. You remember what that command was? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he said to do. That's what he said to do. Well, Mark captured that. He understood that. He embraced that. So the first two years after Jesus went to heaven, church was just getting started. They were going around, people learning, following, coming, being baptized, joining the church. Churches were really on fire. There was this church in Antioch. And they were going to set aside a couple of big time guys to go on a mission trip. Those guys' names were Paul and Barnabas. They're going to send them to places who had never heard about Jesus. And you might think, are there any places like that today? There sure are. There sure are. There's still places that have never heard about Jesus. How are they going to hear it? Well, somebody take it to them. Okay. Super. Computers. That's it. We'll put them, get them all a computer. Okay. What if we have a language that nobody can understand yet? There's a lot of work to do yet, is there not, folks, to get the message out to people? Our story starts in Acts 13. It's there on, in your uh, sermon notes, so just kind of follow along. It starts out, it says, So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. And there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their, what, did you, what does it say? Assistant. <laughs> Underline that, would you? Assistant. Because herein lies part of the struggle, part of being stuck. Now, being an assistant at first seemed exciting. But after a while, it wasn't so much. Let's keep reading. Paul and his companions then left Paphos, which was on Cyprus, by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga, There, John Mark left them. Would you underline that? Left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, nobody knows why Mark quit. A lot of speculation, but nobody knows the real reason why he quit. Paul and Barnabas kept going on their mission trip. Came back a couple years later. And they're ready to go on their second trip, and we pick up the passage on the inside of your notes. 
And after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along who? <laughs> he wanted to take Mark along with him. But Paul strongly disagreed since Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Underline the word strongly or disagreed strongly. Paul was known for being very stern, very straightforward. But let's see what happens. Let's keep reading. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now, Paul and Silas, we know, had an incredible trip because they had someone go along with them to record what happened, and that was Luke, a physician. And then he wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote then the book of Acts and these journeys. Now, we don't know how Barnabas and Mark's trip went because no one was there to record what happened. But one thing that we do know is that something happened to Mark, and he got stuck. He got stuck. He was unhappy. He quit. He got fired for whatever reason. And maybe you're here today, and you feel a little bit like Mark. You feel stuck. But fortunately, this isn't the end of Mark's story, and I'll come back to it in a little bit, but just know that it's not the end, because Mark shows us, in our, in our text, four choices that we can make in our lives to get unstuck in our careers or our jobs. So let's take a look at those. Number one, choose to make God my boss. Choose to make God my boss. Now, on the back of the connection card, you said you were going to choose something. I hope you wrote something down. But choose to make God your boss. Again, we don't know what caused Mark to quit the team and he went home. We can all speculate. It could have been pride. could have been he got on the trip and he wanted to preach and all he had to do was stand back and watch Paul and Barnabas. He was their assistant. I mean, he, his job was to carry the bags. <laughs> Not very glamorous. Bill Blankenship was our speaker last night at the fundraiser and he's now the head coach at TU. And he talked about, as they introduced him, they talked about how great an athlete he was in high school and college and how he's just out of And his wife's eyes were just rolling up in her head. I've seen that face before. I have a wife that does the same thing. If I get to thinking I'm really something, she reminds me I'm not quite there yet. She said, my job is to keep you humble. I said, well, you're really gifted then, aren't you? <laughs> Who knows, maybe Mark felt unappreciated. you ever feel unappreciated in the job you're involved in? You work hard, but your coworkers should get all the credit. You're the one responsible for the project, and the boss gets all the credit and doesn't even mention your name. You're treated unfairly, at least in your mind. 
And maybe Paul and Barnabas weren't very good bosses. We don't know. Lots of speculation as to why John Mark quit. Maybe Paul jumped on John Mark one too many times because he was known for that quick temper and he could have hurt Mark's feelings. You know, that happens a lot, doesn't it? I don't think people actually intend to get up. They get up in the morning and go, you know what? I'm going to hurt somebody today. I'm going to find them. I'm going to verbally rip them to shreds today. I don't think they get up that way. On their way in, they somehow get that way. Both hands, they have to unpry both hands from the wheel to go into the work. And they're shaking like this, and they still have their hands on the wheel, you know. You know, there's a lot of places, workplaces, that like to have different kinds of parties. But the one I read about and hear about the most are the, the parties called pity parties. They sit around and whine about how it should be and how it shouldn't be and why this is unfair and this person's getting credit and I'm not getting credit. The work environment is toxic. But you see, if it wasn't hard, why would they call it work? And after all, that's why they pay you a paycheck, because they know it's hard. So if you have one of those kind of bosses you have to put up with, you deserve more pay than you're getting now. Give an amen. Maybe you're part of the problem. Can I get an amen? Oh, I didn't think so. All right. Okay. Still, Colossians 3.23 says, In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you are doing it for the Lord, not for people. Is that awesome? Underline the Lord. Do the work for the Lord. If you're going to work and have God as your boss, there's a few things you need to do. Number one, your stress level is going to be lower because you know what God wants from you. He wants you the very best. But let me give you three things to remember. Number one, love God and others. Love God and others. Love God first and then others. Even in a married relationship, you, have to lo- you need to le- learn to love God first, then love your spouse. And you might say, what, preacher, that just doesn't seem right. Oh, it's very right. Because God is the one who needs full prominence in your life. And if you're loving him the right way, then the spouse is the beneficiary. (laughs) Got it? Because God's going to pour out so many blessings on your life, guess who's going to get them? Last night we were... There was a Miss Deaf Oklahoma was there, and she spoke as an interpreter interpreted for us. And at the end, they applauded. And when she left, and I thought, she can't hear. And I looked around at some of the uh, workers from Happy Hands. They're doing this. And I thought, what is that? And they said, that's applause to a deaf person. So I just said, okay. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to do that from now on. So instead of applauding, I'm just going to do this. Isn't that fun? Loosens up the blood. Here we go. Come on. All right. Want to try it? Ah, feels good, doesn't it? Also quiet. <laughs> love the Lord, Jesus said, with all your heart, mind, and spirit. First commandment, second, love your neighbor as yourself. What would happen if you went to work every day loving God and then loving others? Whew. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, Katie. That is awesome. 
Second thing you need to do is serve your co-workers. Serve them. Jesus said the greatest among us must be your servants. We must be servants if we're going to be great. What if you were the one that brought coffee in? What if you were the one who helped on projects that they were struggling with? What if you were the one who didn't gossip and backbite and speak evil, (laughs) but only found good things to say? And the third way you can make God your boss is to find a godly mentor. And they don't even have to be a mentor at that job or in that field of endeavor. They just have to be somebody who understands the principle of putting God first and then others. And they can help you. You can have a sounding board. I meet with two preachers I have for over ten years every Thursday morning. And at that meeting, we have a chance, because we're all in the same thing, we have a chance to just throw it on the table. And have somebody listen while we throw it on the table. Because we can't always throw it on the table to you. I can't throw it to you. I know you don't mind if I do. That's what you say. Until I do it, and then it affects our relationship. So I have to find somebody else to throw that on the table to. Do you understand what I'm saying? You do too. We all do. Why do wives have girls night out? So they can talk wonderful things about their husband that they're married to? Really? Mm-hmm. Remember, you're in church. Don't be lying, okay? But you need a godly mentor. Barnabas, his name is son of encouragement. Barnabas took Mark and became his mentor, and he helped him greatly. Galatians 1, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, let me ask, who are you trying to please? Men or God? Men or God? Only you will know. You've got to make God your boss. And secondly, you've got to choose. You've got to choose to make God your boss. And secondly, you've got to choose to separate who I am from what I do. Imagine that Mark was probably in the dumps when he quit. He probably felt like a failure Paul rejected him straight up on the second trip. Probably felt like he wasn't going to amount to much. Maybe he was connecting his work with his identity and he lost, he thought, himself. It really works in our language. For instance, if you were to ask me, Harold, what do you do for a living? I would say, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. You didn't ask me who I am. You asked me what I do. And I responded by saying, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. But that's not really who I am. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. That's who I am. I am a work in progress. Just because I'm a pastor does not give me the advance to the gold card. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I don't struggle with the flesh like you do. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't... You see what I'm saying? I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God, and but for the grace of God, so go I. I need to live every day as though the flames of hell are lapping at the heels of my feet. Because that's what Satan wants. He wants me to come on on the other side. So many of us get pious and self-righteous and we get so far away from the flames we think that we're right in the midst of them. 
We're like a frog in the kettle. We're sitting in the cool water while it's warming up around us. And then it gets hot enough and boils and we die and we don't even know we're there. But isn't there something great about coming back to Jesus? Isn't there something great about the burdens lifting? It's awesome. It's awesome. And that's what he wants. He wants you to be connected with who you are. Let your identity be what it is, but it's not what you do. Look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, you are a masterpiece. If you're by yourself, just tell yourself that you're a masterpiece. Hold your hands up and it'll reflect back at you. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's it. You ever considered perhaps that God has given you the job you have to just simply help you pay the bills? But that may not be where your calling is. That may not be where your purpose is. You're just there to make a little money and to pay bills because there's really a greater calling for you. It could be outside that job. It could be, you could be in the job you're in so that you can become a blessing to this church and you can serve and use your gifts and talents at this church. You see, we need to look beyond who we are and what we do. How can we do that? I think there's three important steps you take. Number one, have a daily quiet time. Begin the day praying and reading the Bible. Most of you say, man, I can barely get one eye open. <laughs> I hear you. But if you can find that, if you can carve out 10, 15 minutes to spend some with the Lord, it'll be well worth your time. Secondly, practice a weekly Sabbath. That's one day of the week where you don't work. Sometimes we have a second job. And the second job causes us to work on Sundays. Maybe you don't need the second job. Oh, but preacher, you don't know the bills we've got. Maybe you need better financial management. Amen? We've gone from preaching to meddling now. The Bible says you should work six days and rest on the seventh. There ought to be a 24-hour period away from your vocation where you're just resting and playing and worshiping God. I very rarely get out and play golf. My nephew came to town. He wanted to play golf. I said, what time? He said, 7.30. I said, Saturday? 7.30? He said, yeah, we ought to have breakfast at Hugo's before we play. Six o'clock? So we helped him open Hugo's. And wonderful morning spent with him. I'll tell you, it's just nothing better just to be out. It's the most frustrating game there is, golf is. It's frustrating. Because, but I discovered on most of the shots that I made wrong, it's George Bush's fault anyway. So I, I was just blaming him. <laughs> third, third is get involved in a weekly growth group. I told you I have my guys I meet with every Thursday. We have a ladies' Bible study on Tuesday. We have a small group Bible study on Wednesday. We have a small group Bible study on Sunday night, 630 right here at the church. There's plenty of reasons and ways that you can get plugged in and do some extra growing. But we can't make you do it. 
See, you want all the blessings of heaven, but you don't want to put out any effort to get there. Well, I've already been baptized there, preacher. Ain't that enough? That's a start. <laughs> but it says you rise to walk in a new life. Well, a new life means that you're starting over again. And if you're starting over again, you've got to learn how to read and write and walk and all that stuff. Well, you don't offer anything down to that church house. Like, oh, really? <laughs> when we put the food on the table, if you don't come to eat, don't, claim, don't complain to me. And we don't have anything on the table. Amen? I just want to say amen. Mark eight thirty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And what? So to get unstuck in my job, I first have to make God my boss. Secondly, I need to separate who I am from what I do. And then thirdly, I need to choose to be faithful in small things. Learn to do the ordinary things extraordinarily well. Is that not a great picture? Now, I've substitute teach some, not as much as I used to. My admiration for teachers grows every time that happens. Rodney's called me several times to try to sub his class, and I always try to find an excuse not to go back over there. <laughs> I don't know how he does it day in and day out. Those are the knottest-headed kids I've ever met in my life. They are. Somebody meet them at the door and tell them to shh, please. So they don't come. Hey, what's going on? As they run in here. So, okay. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. We've got to see opportunities and be faithful in the small things. Mark, on the first trip, abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Then, then he got a chance. Then he got busy. Then. He started to make it happen. God is not going to bless us with something great and big if we're not going to be faithful with the little things He gives us. Matthew 25 is a great story. The boss has three employees. He gives one. You know, He gives them all three a little bit to do. One of them takes what He gave him, made it better. Last one was lazy and he didn't want to do anything. He thought the boss was going to be mad at him if he did anything with it. So he didn't do anything and so it cost him. And so he says to the one that improved, he says, listen, I'm going to give you this guy's stuff because you've done something good with something small, and I'm going to give you something better. So you want to get better at your job, you want to get an increase in pay, you want, then start doing it with excellence and start doing it in a way that brings attention to God and not to you. And you just never know what might happen. He replies, the master replies, in Matthew 25, good job, you're a good, faithful servant. You've proved that you can be trusted with a small amount, and I can trust you with that. I'll now put you in charge of a large amount. Come and share your master's happiness. Some of you have faith in God, but you're not faithful to God in the little things. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever presents itself to you, for you to do, do it with all your might. Number four, choose on the back of your outline, choose to persevere even when you feel stuck. The easiest thing to do when you feel stuck is to quit. Just quit. Throw your hands up and quit. The easiest thing to do. I'll just try something else. I, my boss I have, he's just so difficult. I'm just going to quit and go home today. 
I don't have a job to go to, but I'm just going to quit anyway. I'll find another one. Been looking at the job market lately? In fact, quitting can get you more stuck than you were. <laughs> God, trusting God should be enough for us to stop making excuses and stop going to pity parties and move forward. There's a spiritual principle, important spiritual principle for us to remember. Even though God may not be the one who has caused your being stuck, He may not be the source of your being stuck. He wants to use your being stuck right now to teach you to lean on Him. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9, it says, We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of this, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea, since He's the God who raises the dead. Are you stuck today? 2 Timothy 4 says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. By the way, we're picking up the story in Mark. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. But look what he says. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Paul's in prison. He's getting ready to die. And who does he call to come help him? Mark. Mark got unstuck. And we know that because he wrote a gospel. He penned Peter's words when he wrote the gospel of Mark. But look at that last verse. It's not that we, it's not that we think we can do anything or, of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success comes where? Would you bow your heads, please, in prayer? Father, you know.